Hi, everyone. I'm Lauren Good, a senior writer at Wired, and you're listening to The Gadget Lab, the podcast where we talk about the gadgets, apps, and services that you need to know about and how they affect our lives. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Wired senior writer Ariel Pardes. Hello. And Wired senior writer Peter Rubin. Hello. Peter, so good to have you back in the studio. It's so good to be back, guys. Our other co-host, Mike Calori, is out today. He's actually traveling to Arizona, but I think he'll be back next week. That's right. And today we're going to go over the most important tech news of the week but you're definitely going to want to stick around after that because later on the show we will be talking to filmmaker and writer Tiffany Schlein about her family's self-imposed completely tech-free day. That's right. She's been doing this once a week for 10 years now. So she was actually an early adopter on this trend of digital wellness. But actually doing this isn't always easy. So we talked to her about how she and her family are able to put their devices away. Hint, you're going to need a printer if you want to copy her method. I mean, who doesn't have a printer, right? Peter has a printer. That's I how do, you but get it. It's, you print out Google Maps and that's how you get around. That's right? how I print out my Bed Bath & Beyond coupons. Oh, right. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Peter, do you ever try and you know get away from your screens for like a full hour Sometimes for like 15 minutes at a time, I try. Yeah. I do. I actually, the the phone doesn't go in the bedroom for me. So like off, it's just out. I've like, if someone, the problem is if like there's an emergency, I hope you can send someone on horseback because I am not going to know. That's right. right. That was always my thought on Ariana Huffington, who also doesn't bring her phone Mm -hmm. into her bedroom. Like that's great, Ariana, but you have a suite of people who work for you and who will be able to handle your emergencies i do not oh i do that's why that's why this works <laughs> oh, so well yeah right and I they ha- stay up 24 yep. 7 in the other rooms yep it's a combination mm-hmm. of uh footmen uh-huh. and uh, major domos and uh-huh. a couple of capos oh. so yeah it really right. really has worked out well huh yeah that's We're how gonna it works talk all about this with tiffany and hopefully we'll give you some takeaways so that you can figure out how to reduce tech in your life if that's what you're looking to do but let's first get to the news shall we yes so if you're security conscious you likely use some form of two-factor authentication on your apps and services one way to do this is to set up a phone number so that you get a text when you're trying to log into say twitter facebook your email whatever from an unrecognized browser do you guys do this i do this i Mm -hmm. totally do do for a lot of accounts and then i end up on a plane and i can't get a cellular signal and so then i can't use sms for 2fa and then anyway yeah anyway (laughs) this week it was reported that twitter had been taking those phone numbers that people used for their two-factor authentication and then reusing them in a marketing database So the phone number that you provided to make your account more secure is now being used to sell ads to you. Not great. In a statement, Twitter said the company did so accidentally, that they didn't give this information to any third-party marketers, they just used it internally. Um, Still, not a great look. And this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. Last year, Facebook admitted to doing the same thing, and the FTC fined that company $5 billion for that and other instances of data mishandling. So Twitter, for its part, has apologized. It was an error and like, okay, mistakes happen. But as our colleague Lily Hay Newman wrote this week, this kind of misuse of information that users are providing for security reasons is not only uncool, but it it shows that companies are really prioritizing their own profit over user privacy. Um, Lily had this great line in her story. She wrote, you shouldn't have to make security decisions based on fear that massive tech companies can't handle basic data siloing. It shouldn't be that hard for Twitter to put this information in a safe place where it's not being reused by its marketing department. I agree that 
it's a bad look for Twitter to have taken this information and without most of us knowing, uh, assigning it to ad targeting, uh, basically. But I will also say that at this point, I assume that pretty much everybody in the universe has our phone numbers. Yeah. I and mean, my phone number in particular, I'm just like, I just assume everybody, anytime I go to sign up for something, it requires you to enter your phone. Anytime you buy something and your phone number is probably being shared with all kinds of marketers. I mean, I assume like my hair salon does something nefarious with my phone number. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a very cynical way of looking at things. But I also, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure, especially since Facebook did this before and we were all aware of that at some point. I'm not sure I'm that surprised by Twitter's news. I think this really only matters to the generation that still answers its phone, <laughs> uh, which I believe are called the boomers. Um, and so it's, I mean, I for one am shocked that Twitter prioritized profit over user <laughs> safety. I don't know why anyone would think that they would do such a thing. Uh, but this is, I mean, it is that thing where like you've been giving out this number that it represents you and is effectively like a social security number uh, with a bit more security around it. But everybody, ha and I mean, it really is why I don't pick up the phone. Because like everyone and anyone could be calling me. And That's I don't right. want to talk to 99% of them. Yeah. Including you guys, no offense. Well, no problem. yeah, you're right. Our phone numbers are both more precious and absolutely not worth anything yeah, <laughs> in this exactly. day and age. Right. Um, one way to get around this, I will just quickly say, is to use a different form of two-factor authentication. I personally use Google Authenticator. This works for almost every app, service, platform, whatever. And it's actually more secure because if someone steals, say, your SIM and can then hack into your phone, they cannot hack into your Authenticator apps. So I have a Yubi key surgically implanted into a tiny little slot in my forearm. Even so better. it's always mm. with me. <laughs> Even in fact, we used to ship Yubi keys with wired subscriptions. Yes. I'm not sure if we still do that, but you should still get a wired subscription anyway. Yeah. And, and a Yubi key. Yeah. yeah. And a Yubi key. And if we don't still give away Yubi keys, you should probably just go back to last year and subscribe to Wired and then you'll get one. Yeah. No problem. It's yeah, easy to do that fine. because tech. All right. Let's move on to the next topic. This week, Sony revealed more details about the PlayStation 5. And Peter, you actually had all of the exclusive details. I so did. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Tell us about this. Oh, gosh. So there's this video game console coming out next year. We What's knew it called? What's it called? What's it called? It's called Sony's next-gen console. Or at <laughs> least that's what they had been calling it when they first acknowledged it to me about six months ago and, and we wrote a piece about it. Now they are finally ready to call it the thing that everybody knew they were going to call it, which is the PlayStation 5. So that'll come out holiday next year, which of course is that all important October to December window, but there's not a chance it's going to come out as late as December. We're looking at October, November, so people can get excited and buy it for their kids and buy it for their grandmothers and whoever they're going to buy it for probably themselves. And it's also when Microsoft's next Xbox console assuming it's called an Xbox something, uh, comes out. So that is the battlefield, as we know it, is late 2020 for the next generation of consoles. Now, Peter, it seems like even though gaming is moving into the cloud, console releases are still a really big deal. And that may be partly because they only really happen every five to seven years, like the major releases. And it feels like Sony's been really good about building hype around this. But should we be this hyped about it? I mean, what it, what is... What's in the console? So there's, you know, both companies, both Sony and Microsoft have by now developed a, a pretty uh, well-oiled playbook. I don't know if you can oil a playbook, but <laughs> if you could, they each have one uh, about how to sort of drum up anticipation, which is a slow drip of what it can do, which gives rise eventually to, to actual specs, which gives rise to actual game demos, which gives rise to, you know, uh, this, this sort of stepwise thing. 
Sony has switched it up, as people have noticed this year. They didn't go to E3, the video game show, and Microsoft did. They have elected, for whatever reason, to come to Wired first a couple of times now. Am I complaining? I am not, because it's nice to get to break this kind of a story. Um, so I don't exactly know the strategic calculus going on there, but I'm also not going to complain about it. So... Uh, and, and what's interesting about consoles, too, especially this next generation, seven years after the last ones came out, is that while the rise of cloud gaming is really upon us, both of these consoles are likely to integrate cloud gaming in one way or another. Sony already has a cloud gaming service that they're putting a little more effort behind. They're cutting the price in half, so that'll be also available through the PS5. Microsoft is working on their own that will probably be available through the Xbox as well. So you're going to kind of get both as opposed to Google Stadia, which wants you to say, throw away your console and just get this and you can play your games on anything. So what the PS5 is, is bringing to the table is uh, it's, it's ditching the spinning hard drive in favor of a solid state drive, which is something that you could do before in PCs. But when a console does this kind of thing, it tends to be integrated extremely well into the architecture of the console so that developers can work with it really well. So it's not just about sort of the much faster write speeds that, uh, that a solid state drive has. It is able to kind of be more efficient with how it treats game data. Sony is doing some stuff that lets you install a game on a more piecemeal basis. So rather than like putting in a disc or downloading a game and having to install all the parts of the game, and then play it, you can, Sony is making it so that you can install just the single player or just the multiplayer, or maybe even just this or that mode of multiplayer, uh, which lets you sort of get into it faster. Or if there's only one part of a game you know you want to play, it helps you reserve space on the, on the hard drive. And then the other two big things, one is ray tracing, uh, which everybody has known it's going to be in the console, but that's just a really sort of bleeding edge rendering technique that lets you do sort of complex sound and light interactions by basically simulating every photon of light in a given environment and then calculating how it all bounces, how, how everything bounces off each other. So this is going to be hardware accelerated ray tracing, which is the magic phrase everybody was waiting for. And then the final thing is the controller, which has a bunch of kind of new haptic stuff built into it. So the feedback, the sort of tactile feedback you get from the gaming experience is going to be much more kind of fine grained and more customizable. And so we can't expect to see all of this still until holiday 2020. I think we'll see what it looks like okay. before then. Okay, so there's going to be maybe one more big reveal or two before the or big three, reveal. Who knows? All right, there will Peter, be some more. Peter will have the scoop. Yes, everyone Let's should just so. keep keep coming to Wired.com for updates. You should just come every day just to make sure <laughs> it didn't happen that day. Pretty much. And maybe we'll be giving away keys that day too. <laughs> so we should just keep coming. Okay, and last but not least, before we get to Tiffany Schlain, Apple has found itself caught up in the growing controversy surrounding the anti-government pro-democracy protests that have been happening for months now in Hong Kong. On Wednesday of this week, Apple removed an app called hkmap.live from its app store. This was just days after having approved the app, and Apple removed it because, according to the New York Times, authorities in Hong Kong said protesters were using it to attack the police during the protests. Now, Apple CEO Tim Cook said in an email to employees that the company had gotten, quote-unquote, 
credible information from the authorities in Hong Kong that the app was being used maliciously to target individuals for violence, and that as such, it violated Apple's rules and local laws. Apple is not the only major U.S. corporation that appears to be towing a fine line when it comes to its handling of U.S.-Chinese relations at the moment, but it is receiving blowback already. Josh Hawley, a Republican U.S. Senator from Missouri, immediately tweeted, Apple assured me last week that their initial decision to ban this app was a mistake. Looks like the Chinese censors have had a word with them since. Who is really running Apple, Tim Cook or Beijing? And a Hong Kong official, Charles Mock, tweeted, Today I wrote to Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, to tell him his company's decision to remove this app from the App Store will cause problems for normal Hong Kong citizens. He continues on to say, Values over profits, please. The story is still developing, and by the time this podcast publishes on Friday morning, honestly, a lot may have already changed. So once again, I keep directing you back to Wired.com, but please keep coming to Wired.com for updates. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be chatting with Tiffany Schlein. Tiffany Schlein is a filmmaker, author, and creator of the Webby Awards, often referred to as the Oscars of the web. Across her various bodies of work, she often focuses on our relationship with technology. Her latest book, 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day Per Week, explores the idea of a tech Shabbat, spending one day a week completely tech-free. And that's what she's here to talk about with us today. And what better place to convince people to unplug than in a place called Wired? (laughs) I'm very happy you're here because I think a lot of people here need a dose of this. Yeah, I think everyone really needs it right now. I think you could point to so many issues going on right now, like mental health issues, issues in education and our democracy with our current president. And you could say, yeah, maybe the fact we're all staring down at our phones or distracted or being buzzed and notified every second of our waking day has something to do with it. And I I do think um, that we're just, we're so in it that we can't even really see it anymore. But um, for the last 10 years, uh, my family and I, so my husband's a professor of robotics. We're obviously knee deep in tech. We have two daughters, a 16-year-old and a 10-year-old, and we've done this for 10 years where um, from Friday night to Saturday night, we turn off all screens, and it's literally our favorite day of the week, and I feel completely reset, more creative, I sleep better, more productive. It's like one of those things where I I didn't think this was going to be the book that I was going to write right now, but then it felt more and more urgent as the longer we did it and the more crazy everyone got with their phones and staring down and all the stuff. I was like, oh, I have to share this because it's such a simple, it free, it's a thousands of year old practice of Shabbat that we're just updating. And I should also say I'm Jewish, but I'm not religious. So in a lot of ways, I'm trying to free it from being just a religious practice and saying it should be like yoga and meditation. Like I take a tech Shabbat and it makes my life so much better. I want to step back a little bit because you said we've been doing this for 10 years. And in fact, you coined the phrase Tech Shabbat, I think back in 2010. So you were very early to this whole idea. I mean, in 2010, not everybody had smartphones either. So what inspired you to do that then? And now all the studies are coming out, right? On how the effects and it's not good for you and people are addicted. But back then I just didn't, it did not feel good. I would just say that um, a lot of moments in my life where, you know, you just go with your gut and you're like, this does not feel like a good way to live. And then I had this very dramatic moment in my life where my father, who I was very close to, got brain cancer and and he passed away and my husband's and our daughter was born within days of each other. So you can imagine it was just felt like one of those moments where I felt like 
the life was saying, focus on what's important in your life. And I knew the way I was living didn't feel good. And so we, um, we were part of this group called Reboot that did a national day of unplugging. And then it was, it was really a ceremonial one day of no screens. And we never stopped doing it. It just, it felt so good. And it was exactly what we, my husband and I, what Ken and I needed. And, um, and it was just felt like a way we hadn't felt in so long. And I think everyone, I mean, since I've launched the book, we're asking people to try it. It's been so long since people have been without the screens and remember what it's like to not be able to be available, to not be distracted, mm-hmm. to read in a deeper way, to space out in a more freeing way, to just let your mind wander and be present and not have a ticking time bomb every second in your hand that could notify you and take you out of that moment. And so, yeah, I. It, but I think just early on, I mean, I guess early on I was excited about the web too, you know, and I, I think listening to my antenna on what is exciting or what doesn't feel right is something as I get older, I just hope I continue to hear louder and louder that voice. And the truth is I really hear that voice the most on my texture bots because I quiet the noise. You know, there's a lot of noise in everyone's life right now. We're just getting so much input um, from outside voices, whether it's the news or FOMO or your friends' lives or the calls and the beeps and everything that it's hard to hear your own thoughts. And have one day a week where you do get to kind of quiet the noise. And I, and Friday night, you know, we always start with a big, we have friends and family, neighbor over for, neighbors over for dinner. So that's very social and which is also lovely around a table and no one has a phone in sight. And a meal is very different when phones are completely off in a way um, because usually people put them right on the table now. And there's so much research that when even an off phone by your friend on the table will make you less focused on the conversation. Um, so we have a big meal Friday night, but Saturday is pretty chill. I mean, we we really, you know, we read, we journal, we nap, we garden, we go out on a bike ride, but it's very, it's more on the quiet side of life. And it's great. And we just all have just, we just welcome it every week now. I kind of rush towards it and I know I'm going to get, even things I want to read, even interesting articles. I mean, we are reading more than ever before but we are skim reading and we are not reading deeply. So if there's something interesting I see on Twitter or in the New Yorker or Wired or something that I want to think about more deeply, I usually literally put it on this little table that I go to on the texture bot. I'm like, oh, those are the things I'm going to be able to think deeply about mm-hmm. because I don't during the week. I don't mm-hmm. read deeply. I'm I'm doing what everyone's You're doing. You're distracted. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm distracted living, which is I, the way we're I have living. to say, even sitting here now talking to you, I'm suddenly so much more aware of the screen I have in front of me. I have my laptop open for those of you who can see because I have these notes I've been reading excerpts from Tiffany's book and you know looking into your background and preparing for this interview and I have this in front of me and I feel very aware right now because I see the glow on your face on my face no I see a glow on your face and it's interesting this barrier it does and at meetings now at my film studio we have screens down because you know yes people were taking notes but it was also binging about other things and you knew that they were just like being pulled and also at our film studio we um, since I read the research that it takes 23 minutes to get back into flow after you've been distracted by a text a call or whatever um, we have phones in the bags now so they used to all be on the desk and even though they were on silent it was like a silent buzz orchestra (laughs) and now um, you check it when you go to the bathroom or if you need to take a break just do it away from other people and I even found like yesterday 
I was, I'm Jewish, so we were, yesterday was Yom Kippur, and I was trying to relax because we were fasting, which is hard to do. Uh, Again, I should say, I'm not religious, but I do a lot of these things because I like the practice of them. But my husband, Ken, was like texting something, and just seeing him texting something, I'm like... It made you anxious. Yeah, it was making me, I was like, I'm not working today, and just seeing you working, I'm just like, I can't stop thinking about that I should get on my phone, or what's waiting for me on my phone, and... I think that we have just become so much. I mean, in the book, I talk, because I, back in when I was in my 20s, I was a smoker, um, really as an act of rebellion against my doctor family. Um, and, you know, I quit, but I remember what it felt like to be addicted. And I, the equivalent that I write about in the book is it's like secondhand smoke to see other people on their phones because you're getting you're seeing them on and you're not as present Mm -hmm. and listen you see it happen all the time people are at dinner in the moment one person grabs their phone everybody does there's a lull and then everyone says well now might be a good opportunity for me to check right and then it breaks that moment and then then everyone has to reconvene again yeah yeah and i it's not like we should be living in a world where everyone's like so present and with each other all the time but we have the pendulum has swung so far that no one's present any of the time so what this does is for one day a week i kind of remember what it's like to really be human in a different way and to be with myself in a different way to be with my husband and my kids in a different way and it is literally the best thing I've, I feel like I've incorporated into my life. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your method because yeah. you say in your book that planning this day is a little bit like taking a day trip back to the 70s or <laughs> yeah. 80s, which yeah. I happen to remember. <laughs> I was born in the 80s. Uh, but, it, you know, it's pretty intense the way you go about this. And you mentioned printing out articles. Like, I'm thinking, oh, Saturday's the day I, ch- I you know, I'm on a flight and I check Instapaper where I've saved all my articles. Uh, but you can't even do that. No. You can't even go to your pocket or no, Instapaper. No okay, but so, it's, so it's, talk I'll about, you. I mean, you have like a landline. Okay, like talk I'll about how you. you do this. Yeah, it's not that complex, but it, you know, pretend, and I go into the book, all the different things we've tried and what seems to work. Well, first of all, landline. Landline is good for so many reasons. Um, for real emergencies, and we live in earthquake country, fire mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. it's good to have a landline as a second form of communication. Um, and it's like 20 bucks a month, and what is your sanity worth? That's what I would say. So landline is really good for emergencies, really good for finding a lost cell phone in your house and for making a call or receiving a call on your text Shabbat. I mean, really the only people we talk to on that day is our family, the grandmothers, the bubbies, you know, calling, or if we miss someone, you know, that's, but really, it, actually, I have to say once again, it's really a day about not being in major communication mode. It's really about being with people you are or being by yourself or whatever. But yes, we have a, um, a printer that I'll print out stuff. But really by hand, I go on my calendar and on Friday afternoon, I write if we have any plans on Saturday because I have done this with two kids in soccer. We had to write down which fields they were at and that's coordination or birthday party. But mostly we would tell the teams, you know, we're not going to be reachable. So we'll see you at the field. And people forgot. You just would see people at the field. You didn't. Now it's like, I'm around the corner. I'm parking. I forgot my cleats. I'm going to be 10 minutes late. Like, who cares? Just show up. Like, we are, I think because of our phones, we're late to everything. And we change plans so much more because you can. Um, But so landline, printer, but that's not necessary. You could also just put aside magazine articles you want to read or books. I have a lot of books I read on Saturday. Same with everyone in the family. But I do print stuff out and I write by hand my schedule. And we, we bought a vinyl record player um, at the beginning to listen to music, which was very exciting to teach our kids about vinyl. But we, you know, you can make your own little 
and I talk about this in the book, your own little rules. You know, we cook a lot. That's the one day I really cook. And I we do use our Alexa speaker timer, like set the cooking timer. And somebody was like, wow, that's technology. I'm like, it's not, it's about no screens. That's our guideline. Uh, interesting. Okay, and, so and that voice is, assistants are okay. Yeah, well, we don't use it for all the plethora of things you can use it for, but cooking timer or that feels like it works for us because it's really we're cooking and it's helping us do that but the screens feel like the thing that take you down the rabbit hole right like it sounds like you're trying to limit things um to utilities yes and not actually being that's sucked a great into observation media. that's exactly right and but you know listen 10 years in the future it might not be screens it could be wearables and you know your whole home is connected and i still think there will be valuable to disconnect from the network and create what uh, this Jewish philosopher calls a palace in time. His name's Abraham Heschel, and I love the way it's not a pa- it's not going to a space. It's creating a palace in time of 24 hours. Actually, if you're really observant Jew, uh, they call it 25 hours. Um, but for me, again, I'm trying to make this concept of Shabbat really for everyone, and just think about the fact that this is thousands of years old. Many different cultures adapted it. They called it a Sabbath. You know, if you're a really observant Christian or Muslim, everybody's got, you know, this one day off. So there's great wisdom in this concept. Every six days you should take one day off from work. And right now that phone is access to some pleasure, but a lot of work, a lot of stress. And even the pleasurable acts like documenting the fun thing you're doing on Instagram almost can feel like work. You take the picture, Mm -hmm. you have to put the filter, the right text, did people like it? It becomes this whole rabbit hole in itself. So it's actually quite liberating for me as a filmmaker and documentarian to not document for a day either. I mean, I'm I'm just about to get a Polaroid camera for those instances where, so again, day trip to the 70s. But but it's actually kind of great to not feel like you need to record anything that day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're going to experience it more fully in this one day where that's not what it's about. Now, in today's economy, though, sometimes a day off doesn't really feel like a day off for some people. It might be the one day per week that they actually have to run errands or, you know, go take care of a family member somewhere. Or in some cases, it might be the day for somebody's side hustle, right? Since that's a thing now. So how do you do do, like, how do you um, you manage like getting somewhere without maps? For example, if you if you have to, you do have an obligation, it might not be your regular work day, but you have an obligation Mm -hmm. that you have to fulfill. Well, listen, it's very true that not everyone can take a day off. Uh, Some people have two jobs, and it's a luxury to be able to take a day off. But I would also say that whatever time you do get off, try to make it screen free so you really deeply relax because we don't realize how much stress is involved with the phone. But listen, we, we have um, taught our kids about maps and sometimes we've been really lost and Ken will be the one that'll have to pull out his phone to check on the GPS, the map, and then he puts it away. I personally don't want to touch it or look at it that whole day. Like it's like kryptonite for me, like nowhere in sight. But Ken's the designated, like a designated <laughs> drive. He's the designated, He's like, Maps. yeah, go on Google Map, look it up, and then put it away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, again, that's real. And it's not like if you're lost in the mountains, you're not going to look at that. But what are the things you can do that can just put your mind in a different mode so you're not so reliant? I think people forgot how to exist without the phone. I mean, it, it's, it's sad to me because there's so much power and beauty and just being without any device to manipulate your moods. And that's another aspect of this. I mean, there was a certain point where I felt like a marionette doll where I was just being, I was doing things because of the phone. It would make me stop what I was doing and do something else and it would stress me out and I was starting out. I mean, another practice, and I go into this in the book, 
is the other six days I've incorporated all these kind of mini things. Like I don't look at my phone when I wake up anymore because I used to, after the election, I was on the New York Times app and I would just be a stress ball. That's how I woke up every day and I was like, whoa, I must reclaim the framing of my day. So now I wake up, I have my coffee, I do not look at my phone for like 15 to 20 minutes. It's not that long, but I, I write in a journal that just like think about the day and and then I'm on the phone. But it So it sounds like you have found ways to take your learnings from the official Shabbat and in you're, and you're working it into your into yeah, other days. Yeah, but that's not to say I've reached some form of, you know, tech life balance perfection because there's, you know, I'm traveling a lot for the book tour right now and I'm on my phone too much when I'm traveling because I have to be to find my flight or whatever and then I'm on the Twitter rabbit hole because I'm on Twitter a lot. And I, I'm the, I would say the most consistent voice in my head is put the phone down. That's a narrator. There's two narrators, I would say, are in my head. You know, there's the one that's like the critical, put your phone down, don't think about that, that one. And then, of course, when I quiet all the noise from the digital technology and on my tech Shabbat, I can hear that inner voice, which is a much more inspiring voice, (laughs) you know. But, you know, the most consistent voice in my head is put down the phone. We're going to take a quick break on that note. We hope that you're inspired to come back and not put down your phones just yet. (laughs) Stick with the podcast because Tiffany's going to rejoin us. And we'll be back momentarily after this quick break. Thanks for joining us. I'm here with Tiffany Schlein, who's just written a book called 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day Per Week. And we just had a great conversation about her and her family taking a weekly tech Shabbat and how that has uh, impacted the way you're looking at technology these days. I wanted to ask you about writing a book versus making films because mm-hmm. I think your your primary career is that of a filmmaker so you work very much in the visual space mm-hmm. but for this you you sat down and you were you wrote yeah. a lot of words what's yeah. that like and yeah. how are you thinking about these different media these days as you as you think about storytelling yeah that's a great question cuz i i've been thinking about it a lot i mean i yeah i run a film studio i make films that's my primary way to communicate ideas is through images and words together and music together And to have the creative constraint, again, I think it's about putting your mind in a different mode. That's always a great thing to do. So to just have words was a great creative challenge. And it actually felt like a gift to think deeply about something um, by myself. And of course, I have incredible editors. But just to think deeply in words about a subject for so long, I mean, I think it's in the face of this 24-7 Twitter, like all these ideas flowing around, but no, I'm gonna actually spend two years and focus on one subject and think deeply about it. Really felt like a radical act in the face of this kind of quick writing, quick thinking, quick posting society we've become. I find what you're saying about giving your brain a break really interesting because like, like I personally am not very good about that. I'm frequently you know looking at news feeds and Mm. twitter Mm. and checking my email and feeling like i need to stay on top of the news and then when it comes time to write sometimes it's just like Mm. you're stuck you know but if i like and i'm also happen to not be a great sleeper but on the rare occasions when i sleep in i find like words just come to my brain in a different way i'm probably just making a case right now for my editors to let me sleep in a little bit but (laughs) no you i'm telling you you have to give yourself a break i'm a fellow difficult sleeper and so the one day a week every week that i sleep so deeply is on my on friday nights and i look at that i'm like what okay what is that data telling you Mm -hmm. tiffany every week 
Most days of the week I have problems sleeping and the one day of the week I don't have problems sleeping is when the cell phone is downstairs and off and I sleep this delicious sleep and I feel so creative the next day. So I, I even as a, a writer, which you are, I feel like as a creative athlete, you have to, t- you know, it's like interval training. Mm-hmm. You have to take that day off. And all the editors and bosses, if you want the most productivity and creativity from your team and for them to be happy and healthy and making the best work, they need full weekends off. I mean, Labor Day just happened and, and we fought bloody battles in the streets of Chicago for a weekend. And now it's so blurry that everyone feels like they need to respond to their bosses or stay on top of things 24 seven. And, and that's just not a healthy way to live. Tiffany, where can people find your book and where will they eventually be able to see these videos? If you, everything that they wanna see about this subject is at 24sixlife.com. I have a lot of, um, you can get, find out about the book and I'm on book tour right now. So I'm traveling to a lot of cities to talk about this. And I have a very visual lecture, so I show a lot of the films. Um, yeah, so, and I have a newsletter called Breakfast at Tiffany's where I'm always talking about this from different sub, different perspectives and offering resources to help people try to get some better tech life balance back into their life. Because again, I love technology. It's just all the time is not a good way to live. And you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter, at Tiffany Schlain, with Tiffany no Schlain. C in my last name. And That's right. I do love Twitter. I mean, you'll see I'm on there. I'm, it, I, I, love, I love the ability to read things I wouldn't normally interface with and share. And I love that reality there. So it's not, I'm not anti-tech in any way. I just, uh, I think the pendulum has just swung way too far. I mean, you walk down the street, everyone's head is down. It's so true. It's so true. It feels a little bit dystopian. I've noticed this oh. on trains and it's, everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's like everywhere. a horror movie. It's it everywhere. Is. It's like, a, like what, is this how we want to live? Well, hopefully people will develop uh, slightly better habits after reading your book. <laughs> I hope so. Thanks for joining us on the Gadget Lab podcast. It's been oh, great. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to my interview with Tiffany. I really enjoyed chatting with her. We taped it earlier this morning, and Ariel and Peter weren't around. They were probably uh, writing stories at their desks and doing other fun things. Uh, But it was great to chat with Tiffany. I'm glad that she was able to make it into Wired's offices. We're about to wrap things up, but first we're going to do recommendations. Peter, since you're our guest of honor, would you like to start? Uh, I I am deeply already regretting this recommendation because this is a mobile game that is six years old. It just uh, had its sixth anniversary uh, about a week ago. It's uh, called Marvel Puzzle Quest. And it is on the surface a match three game like so many millions of games that people have played over time like Candy Crush Saga and those things. But it is uh, it is integrated with kind of some weirdly deep strategy and role playing elements and the Marvel comic book universe. And so you collect all these covers and every hero has these different powers and like the like you play more to collect more and you spend what you collect on these new powers and it it has its hooks in me in that kind of horrible agonizing shameful but also absolutely ecstatic way where you're like if i just got this everything is gonna be okay and then you get it and you're like no 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 no, not that thing i need i need dr strange's power to do that so i am really having an existential crisis right now because of how much i enjoy this game i just started playing it like a month ago where are you most likely to be playing this uh during my commute uh, I, yeah. I've been told in no uncertain terms that playing this at home is a big problem. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so, is your middle name used too during that statement? It is like, not. It's like, okay. It's sometimes, sometimes I, I think I might have given my wife a fake middle name all those years ago, so she wouldn't be able to use it uh, against me. No one wants to be called Balthazar in the middle of a conversation. My middle name is not really Balthazar. Uh, but um, yeah, so it's like my commute time, which I should be using to read. I'm using to just rot my brain. Well, as I just talked about with Tiffany, it's a good idea to give your brain a break sometimes because it enables you to regenerate and do more creative work. It's so true. maybe I, this Marvel puzzle game allows you to do more creative work once you get to the office. Yes. I, well, I try to keep like an 80-20 ratio of 80% giving my brain a break. And so this is a, an <laughs> integral part of that 80% of my day. Ariel, what's your recommendation? Well, Peter, if you're looking for something to read... I will learn to read, and then I will take this recommendation. <laughs> I can recommend the debut novel by journalist Taffy brodesser Ochner. It's called Fleischman is in Trouble. It came out in June, and uh, it's good. It's good. What's I, it about? That's a solid recommendation. <laughs> it's good. A double good. Um, it is about... Triple good, because you're here. <laughs> it's about a man who finds himself divorced after... 15 years and two children and tries to sort of put his life back together in New York City. And um, Taffy is a fantastic writer. If you have ever read a celebrity profile in GQ or the New York Times, it's very likely it was written by Taffy. She's incredible and has this real way of tapping into human psyches that really comes out in the novel. I've been um, feeling rather sick this week and there's something very comforting about feeling awful but having a good book to read while you're in bed and this has been my sort of comfort this week ariel you and i have talked a lot recently about just all the books that are coming out right now by some really fantastic writers mm. and how taffy in particular jumps out to us and i know what she does to me because i find her interesting because she's so interested in other people right she's just one of those writers who i think her lens into the world and and you put it really well which is her ability to tap into the human psyche that's what I find so fascinating about her. And she herself is, of course, an interesting person with an interesting story and how she came up to become this profile writer. But like, you just have such a profound respect for somebody who is like, I'm not making my book tour about me. I'm making my book tour about like all of the the fascinating things I write. Totally, totally. It's it's great. If you like her writing, then you will love this. Well, I look forward to reading it. Same. What's yours, Lauren? My recommendation this week is something called Ask Molly. It's a newsletter and an advice column by Heather Havileski, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, who also happens to be the author of the advice column Ask Polly. So back in May, she tweeted that she was launching a new thing called Ask, Ask Molly, and that it was going to be uh, like Ask Polly, but more evil uh and the truth is is that it's not it's not evil but it's edgier for sure and the newsletter contains not only advice columns but also fictional essays like a particularly disturbing and funny one a uh, fictional essay about jeff bezos uh but the advice column is great i really enjoy reading it i think there's a paid version but also if you sign up you can get a certain amount of her content for free she's a fantastic writer um here's a gem from this week's advice column and ask molly somebody wrote in and said they were getting divorced they were, I think, 50 or in their 50s. Um, they're feeling sort of a lack of confidence. And Heather, a.k.a. Molly, a.k.a. Polly, a.k.a. Molly, writes, Hope comes from letting it all in. The fear, the rage, the exhaustion, the manic excitement, the disappointment. Hope is having mercy on yourself and others. 
Hope is letting go of your comfortable resting places, your go-to insults, your escapist fantasies, your defensive narratives, and prying open your mind to the possibility that you are often wrong. You are wrong about most things and most people. You should trust your instincts, of course, but you should question your running narratives. You can subscribe to her newsletter and get gems like this on a regular basis. And like I said, sometimes they're like edgy and funny and sometimes like there are these moments of realness and and, and raw writing and, and I really enjoy it. I love Heather's columns. She's kind of like a combination between a therapist and a mom and your best friend and your worst enemy. And like it all comes through in this perfect way where you're like, you've been like coddled, but you've also been like slapped and you've been like woken up from a disturbing dream and you've been like plunged into your best life. She's, Thank you, Heather. She used to write for, for suck.com when mm-hmm. that fantastic uh, old web magazine was around. And like she was a polemicist in like the best way. She would just go on these diatribes against any and everything. And when she started doing Ask Polly, I thought, advice column feels weird it feels like it's going to sand her down and sanitize her so i'm not that it does but i'm still glad that there's like this sort of unfettered version of that voice still coming through yeah ask molly the alter ego uh well these are some great recommendations and we hope that you've all enjoyed this episode as much as we have thank you for listening if you have any feedback whatsoever you can always leave us a review on apple podcasts also we're all on the twitter the gadget labs handle is at gadget lab uh peter what's your twitter handle uh i'm on twitter as proven self p-r-o-v-e-n-s-e-l-f or you can call my cell phone because everyone has the number (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'm at part esoteric I'm at Lauren Good with an E, and Mike Calori, who's out this week but is normally here, is at Snack Fight once again, or you can just reach us at Gadget Lab. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>